بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين نبينا محمد وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين أما بعد السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته اللهم انفعنا بما علمتنا وعلمنا ما ينفعنا وارزقنا علما تنفعنا به آمين رب العالمين الحمد لله we continue tonight again with بلوغ المرام um, on the chapter, chapter of Sifatul Salah, the description of the Salah. Last week we discussed the Tahiyyat, right? We spoke about the Tashahud um, in some detail. We went through the meaning of the Tashahud and the importance of the Tashahud. And we spoke about the difference between the first Tashahud and the second. And we said that the first Tashahud is a Fard or Wajib of the Salah, whereas the second Tashahud is a Rukun of the Salah. And what's the difference between them? In terms of the ruling, so the first one, if you miss it by accident or you forgot to perform the tashahud or you went straight up by accident, we say you can continue with the salah and make up for it with a sajda to sahu at the end. Whereas the second tashahud, because it's a rukun, it must be fulfilled, right? Um, because a rukun, you cannot make up for it for a sajda by itself. It has to be fulfilled and you have to make the, the sajda at the end. Okay, that's what we explained last week, alhamdulillah. Um, and we also spoke about the hadith of the dua at the end of the tashahud. At the end of the tashahud, we said the, the man, the Prophet heard a man in the salah, and he said to him, who did not praise Allah, who did not extol Allah, and nor did he send salawat upon the Prophet wasallam. and he said, ajila hadha, this man was hasty. Right? Then he said, if one of you prays, he should start with, Praising his Lord and extolling him, then send salutations upon the Prophet Then he should make dua with whatever he he feels like, whatever whatever dua he wishes to make, right? But we ex- explain this. We said, where does this hadith apply? At the end of the salah, tashahud, praising Allah, extolling Allah. We explained this last week. Then salawat upon the Prophet Then comes the time for dua. Tayyib. So we move on to the next hadith, which uh, is the hadith of Abu, Sa- Abu Mas'ud, Abu Mas'ud al-Ansari radiallahu anhu. He said, Qala Bashir ibn Sa'din, ya Rasulallah. So he said that Bashir ibn Sa'd radiallahu anhu said, O oh, Messenger of Allah, Amarana Allahu an nusalli alayka, fakayfa nusalli alayka. He said, Ya Rasulallah, Allah Azza wa Jal has instructed us to send salutations or mercy upon you, or a special type of mercy upon you. How do we do this? How do we send salutations upon you? And so the Prophet remained silent. And then he eventually said, You should say, Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ala ali Muhammad kama sallayta ala Ibrahim wa barik ala Muhammad وَعَلَىٰ آلِ مُحَمَّدِ كَمَا بَارَقْتَ عَلَىٰ إِبْرَاهِيمِ فِي الْعَالَمِينَ إِنَّكَ حَمِيدٌ مَجِيدٌ وَالسَّلَامُ كَمَا عَلِمْتُمْ He said, and the salam is like you know it to be. Meaning the normal salam, right? The taslim at the end. This hadith is in Muslim. Rawahu Muslim, the hadith is in Sahih Muslim. Ibn Khuzayma, one of the muhaddithin, he has an additional wording in his book. He says, فَكَيْفَ نُصَلِّ عَلَيْكَ إِذَا نَحْنُ صَلَّيْنَا عَلَيْكَ فِي صَلَاتِنَا Right, which is a bit more specific. He says that Bashir ibn Sa'ad said to him, 
How do we send salutations upon you if we are sending salutations upon you in our salah? Meaning, we're not asking about salawat in general. This is specifically about the, about the salah. How do we send salutations upon you in the salah? This was the question that was posed to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And in this hadith he says, Allah instructed us to send salutations upon you. Where does Allah instruct us to do this? We should know the ayah. Don't know the ayah? The famous ayat. Ya ayyuhalladhina amanu. Nope. Before that, Inna Allah wa malaikatahu yusalluna ala al-nabi. Ya ayyuhalladhina amanu. Sallu alayhi wa sallimu taslima. That's a command from Allah. Then what does the ayah say? Indeed, Allah and the malaika, they send salawat upon the Prophet. Then Allah says, O you who believe, ya ayyuhalladhina amanu, send salawat upon him and peace upon him. Sallu alayhi wa sallimu tasliman. Send your salutations, your salawat upon him and your, your salam upon him. Your taslim upon him, your, 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 your peace and your blessings upon him and so forth. That's a command from Allah. So the Sahabi said, you know, Allah instructed us to send salutations upon you or salawat upon you. How do we do this? And especially in the salah, how do we do this? You understand? So outside of the salah, how do we send salutations? How do we do salutations outside of the salah? Remember, salawat upon the Prophet is one of the greatest form of dhikr. So one of the best adhkar to make salawat that we say Allahumma salli ala Muhammad or whenever you hear his name sallallahu alayhi wa sallam right? It's the same thing, it means the same thing. You are saying may Allah send salawat upon him. The difference of opinion is what does salawat mean? We generally translate it as salutations, right? Um, but what does salawat mean? Salawat is difference of opinion as we said some says it's, uh, it's, it's that Allah may, may He be remembered fil mala'il a'la, may He be remembered with the angels high up above, who's at the highest point of creation. Some said it means that. Some said it means rahmah. It means may Allah send mercy upon Him. And I think Ibn Uthaym is of the view that it means a special type of rahmah. It's not a normal rahmah. It's a special type of mercy. Right? So when we say Allah, Allahumma salli ala Muhammad or sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, we, we are saying, oh Allah, send your special mercies upon him. Sallallahu alayhi, may the special mercies of Allah be upon him, wasallam and peace. Wasallam and peace. Right? Um, Taib. So outside of the salah, we know that the salawat is a great act of worship. One of the best adhkar to make is Constantly send salawat upon Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And this is out of our love for him, that we're always praying for him. Right? It's out, as a believer, we love him more than we love ourselves, more than we love our families, our parents, our children. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam comes first. Our love for him should be the strongest after our love for Allah azza wa jal. This is how it's supposed to be. And the hadith says, you do not truly believe, you don't have true iman until... I am more beloved to you than your mother, your father, your children, and the rest of mankind. So this is true iman, that we love Rasulullah sallallahu more than ourselves. We know the hadith of Umar, where he said, Ya Rasulullah, I love you, but not more than I love myself. 
But Umar was a man, he was proud, he was you know, not arrogant, but proud. He said, I love myself, I, I respect myself, I love you, but not more than I love myself. And he said to him, go back and, you know, think about it. Go back and, and think about it. When he came back, he said, Ya Rasulullah, I love you more than I love myself. Because he realized the Prophet comes first. I'm willing to give my life for his life, to defend him. His teachings comes first. His instructions come first. Obeying him comes before obeying our parents. Pleasing him and his sunnah and following him comes before pleasing our families. When we say pleasing him, we mean to follow him and to obey his, his teachings. Obviously not to worship him, right? This is ma'roof, of course. So, out of our love for him, we pray for him. When we pray, how do we pray for him? We ask Allah to send his mercies upon him, his blessings upon him, his peace and his security and safety upon him. Allahumma salli wa sallim wa barik ala Muhammad, for example. Right? Um, and the reward of this, as we said, is immense. To say it once, what's the reward? What's the reward? If we say one salawat upon him, Allahumma salli ala Muhammad, or sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, what's the reward? We don't know the reward. We must know the reward. What's the reward? What do you get in return? Man alayya salatan, sallallahu alayhi biha ashra. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, whosoever sends one salah upon me, one salutation, one, you just say, Allahumma salli ala, that's one. Oh Allah send that special mercies upon him. Allah sends ten upon you. Allah sends ten upon that person. Allah sends tenfold upon him. Just to say sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. You heard his name? Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Or you're just making general adhkar. Allahumma salli ala Muhammad. Allahumma salli ala Muhammad. Allahumma salli ala Muhammad. And you think about the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. You think about what he did for the ummah. You think about his status. You think about your love for him. Your longing to meet him. Your, and so forth. And you praise him and you send your salawat upon him. Every one that you do, Allah sends ten upon you. Allah Azza wa Jal sends what? Ten upon you. And this is, this is the, of course the mercy of Allah and also this shows the value and the status of salawat. This is the value of salawat. It's a misconception. You know, some people say the Wahhabis don't do salami. The Salafis don't do salami. Right? That's obviously not the reality. We, we sing salawat. We believe salawats of the best of deeds. We don't do the salami the way you do the salami. Right? The way you do the salawat, we don't do it in that way. To stand up and to believe he's present and omnipresent. and That we don't believe in. But to generally sin salawat, we say you have to sin salawat. You must love him and so forth. Tayyip. Um, so the question here was more regarding the, the salah. How do I sin salawat upon the Prophet, upon you, O Rasulullah, in the salah? And this is where he said, say, Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ala Ali Muhammad. Oh Allah, send that salah upon the Prophet, upon Muhammad. Meaning, we said that the salah yeah, means a special, special mercy, a special rahmah. This is the, according to one of the views. Right? As I said, this difference of opinion, it means a special type of mercy. And upon whom? The family of Muhammad. Wa'ala Ali Muhammad. Wa'ala Ali Muhammad. Right? 
And this is because they were honored. The Ahlul Bayt, the family, the close family of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, we are sending that mercy upon them as well. We are asking Allah to bless them as well. Right? Um, and there is a difference of opinion even on this, what is meant here by Ali Muhammad? Right? What's meant by Ali Muhammad? By Al, this word Al. Does it mean the Sahaba? Or does it mean just his family? Or does it mean all of those who follow him? Do you understand? Um, so some of the ulama said it's for the family. Some say it's for all of the mu'mineen who follow him truly. Some say it's for all of the mu'mineen who follow him. And even when we say upon the family, the family have to be righteous and Muslims and mu'mineen and so forth. Understand? These are the ones that we of course are praying for. كَمَا صَلَّيْتَ عَلَىٰ Ibrahim, As you sent your salah upon Ibrahim. Meaning your special mercies upon Ibrahim. So, we are saying, Oh Allah, send that special mercy upon Muhammad and the family or those who follow Muhammad, those who are close to Muhammad in terms of the following of him. As you sent it upon Ibrahim. So, what does this mean? How do we understand this? We understand this as a type of tawassul. This is a type of tawassul. Meaning, tawassul means that you that you're using this as a means to have your dua accepted, right? So, here we are saying, Ya Allah, you sent special mercies upon Ibrahim. And as you sent that special mercies upon Ibrahim, send it upon Muhammad and the family of Muhammad or those who are close to Muhammad. You understand? Um, so it's a type of tawassul. You know, and, and this is how we make dua. And I think this will come up later on. I'll touch on it in more detail. Later on. Innaka Hamidu Majid. Innaka fil alameen innaka hamidu majid. This narration says, fil alameen innaka hamidu majid. Right? Hamidun majid. Firstly, what does this mean? We should know these names. We did these names in detail in the fiqh al-asma'il husna. Hamid is which name? Does Allah's name Hamid mean? Comes from Hamd. Comes from Hamd. Nope. Merciful. He's speaking about Rahmah, Rahman, Rahim. Comes from Hamd. What does Hamd mean? Hamd. Alhamdulillah. Hamd. Hamid. The praiseworthy. Hamd means to praise Allah. Allah is Alhamid. He's the praiseworthy. The one that's deserved of all praise. The one that's deserved of, that's what Alhamdulillah means. All praise and thanks is due unto Allah. Allah is the praiseworthy. And Majid, Majid is the glorious one. The glorious, right? We speak about Allah's grandeur, His greatness, the glory of Allah. Allah is Al-Majid, the glorious one, right? Um, so, inna kaha. Midu Majid, you are the most, you are the praiseworthy and the glorious one. Right? As if we are saying to Allah, Ya Allah, 
send the salutations upon him or that mercies upon him as you did to Ibrahim and so forth and the family of, 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 of Muhammad. In that you are the praiseworthy and you are the glorious. Praising Allah Azza wa Jal as we are asking him. And as if, to, as if to say, all praises is in your hands. Send the praise upon them. All glory and greatness is in your hand. Send some of that upon them. Upon Muhammad and so forth. Right? وَبَارِكَ عَلَىٰ مُحَمَّدِ وَعَلَىٰ آلِ مُحَمَّدِ Barik is from Barakah. And bless them. Or send your great favors upon them. Right? Meaning, send you know, goodness upon them. Put some goodness in them uh, that, that's constant, that, that remains, that's beneficial, and so forth. Right? For the dunya and the akhirah. And of course, this is something that has been witnessed. كَمَا بَارَقْتَ عَلَىٰ إِبْرَاهِيمِ فِي الْعَالَمِينَ As you sent those blessings upon Ibrahim. Just like you blessed Ibrahim, bless Muhammad and the family of Muhammad. فِي الْعَالَمِينَ Which means in this, in all of creation. يعني Bless them in all of creation, whether it's in the heavens or the earth. Wherever it may be, whatever time it may be, bless them within that time. Send that mercy upon them within that, within, within everything basically. Understand? Within everything basically. Inna Hamidu Majid, as we explained, it means, indeed you are the praiseworthy and you are the glorious one. So, there's another narration for the salawat. How does this one go? Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ala ali Muhammad. Kama salaita ala Ibrahim, innaka hamidu majid. Allahumma barik ala Muhammad wa ala ali wa barik ala Muhammad wa ala ali Muhammad. Kama barakta ala Ibrahim, fil alameen, innaka hamidu majid. Understand? Whereas the second narration that I think most of us would have learned is Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ala ali Muhammad. The first narration we spoke about didn't mention the family of Ibrahim. That Wa'ala Ali Ibrahim was not mentioned. In the different narration I'm mentioning now is in Bukhari as well, so Sahih. It mentions and the family of Ibrahim. As you blessed Ibrahim, or as you sent that mercy upon Ibrahim, and the family of Ibrahim. As you blessed Ibrahim and you blessed the family of Ibrahim, blessed Muhammad and the family of Muhammad. Right? Uh, and this narration doesn't mention fil alamin. It doesn't mention fil alamin. Okay? So, Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ala ali Muhammad. Kama salli ala Ibrahim wa ala ali Ibrahim, inna ka hamidu majid. Wa barik ala Muhammad wa ala ali Muhammad. Kama barakta ala Ibrahim wa ala ali Ibrahim, inna ka hamidu majid. Understand? Instead of wa barik, you can, you can also say, Allahumma barik. You can also say, Allahumma barik ala Muhammad wa ala ala Muhammad kama barakta ala Ibrahim wa ala ala Ibrahim. Tayyib, all of these have been narrated. And this is a better version than the first one. There's nothing wrong with the first one, it's authentic. This is a better one because it's more encompassing. It mentions the family of Ibrahim as well. So this is a better narration and it's Allah alam. But both of them are authentic. It's again, you have a choice which one to do. Like the tahiyyat we spoke about, different versions. This is a different version of the salawat. So when we say what Barak Ibrahim, we shouldn't end up with Fil Alamin in Nakahamidu Majid. So that's not mixing the two. You're mixing the two, yeah. So try not to say Fil Alamin if you don't, uh, if you're saying it this way. 
if you're saying it this way, then you should not say fil uh, alamin because fil alamin is not mentioned in uh, this narration. Taib. Um, so some of the benefits of this hadith. Ibn Uthaymin rahimahullah he says, لا يصح الاختصار. To shorten the salawat is not valid. It's not correct. Right, so for example, to say, Allahumma salli ala Muhammad, and we stop there. Just in the first or the second? In both. We're speaking about the second year, right? Second. You see, we initially said some time back, the salawat is only for the second tashahud. The first tashahud, the salawat is not legislated. Although other ulama say it is, right? But the salawat is for the? The second tashahud and not the first tashahud. If you do the salawat there, there's no harm in that. But the view that we mentioned here was, and that's the view of Ibn Uthaymin, that the salawat is for the second tashahud, not the first. So the first one, you only do the tashahud. You keep it short, you know, Ashadu ala ilaha illallah, Ashadu anna Muhammad al Rasulullah, and you go up. Right? And you go up. Some ulama say, you just say Allah Masalli ala Muhammad, and you go up. Others say, you must say the whole, whole salawat as well. Taib. He says only the tashahud and you go up. The second one is now where you have to do the tashahud and the salawat. What he is saying here is it's not sufficient to stop halfway through or just by saying Allahumma salli ala Muhammad and you stop there and you say Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. To shorten the salawat basically. Understand? Why? Because it was not narrated like this. This basically requires an evidence. When this man, he asked Rasulullah, how do I send salawat upon you in the salah? Did the Prophet say you can stop there? No, he didn't. He said, this is how you do it. This is what you should say. So what Ibn Uthaymin is saying is, for us to say it's valid, we need an evidence for that. To say that you can just say, Allahumma salli ala Muhammad, and that's, that's sufficient. Right? There are ulama who say it's okay just to say it because you've, you have sent salawat upon him, so it's sufficient. He is saying it's not sufficient because that's not how the Prophet said you must do it. Right? To be on the safe side, why must we shorten it? It's literally going to take you five seconds to complete it. It's not a long thing that we're reciting, a whole surah, a whole... It's literally going to take you four, five, six seconds and you'll be done with the salawat. There is no need to shorten it in reality. There is no need to, to shorten the salawat. So complete the salawat and there's more reward in lengthening it. You are sending more salutations, you are sending blessings upon the Prophet by, by saying, Wa barik ala, wa Allah wa barik ala Muhammad. There's more reward in this. And as we said in the, initially, when you send that salutation upon the Prophet Allah sends 10 back upon you. Remember this, so there's no need to be lazy for it, about it. Think about it, if I'm going to send the salutations or the salawat upon the Prophet and this barakah upon the Prophet Allah is sending 10 back upon me. Why would I shorten it? Why would I save that five seconds to go do something else that's probably going to have no benefit in it? And to maybe even put your salah in jeopardy or at risk. So we say, don't shorten the salawat, complete the salawat. This is how the sunnah has been taught to us by the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Another point of benefit is, none of these narrations mentions the word Sayyidina. None of it mentions Sayyidina. Allahumma salli ala... Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala Ali Sayyidina Muhammad kama sallayta ala Ibra- Sayyidina Ibrahim wa ala Ali Sayyidina Ibrahim wa barik ala 
Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala ali Sayyidina Muhammad kama barakta ala Sayyidina Ibrahim wa ala ali Sayyidina Ibrahim. That is an addition that's not part of the sunnah. The Sayyidina is not part of the sunnah. Does this mean he's not our Sayyid? Yesterday we spoke about the name as Sayyid, right? When they said, Ya Allah, Ya Rasulullah, you are our Sayyid. And he said, Sayyidullah, tabarak wa ta'ala. Allah is the Sayyid. But yet, the Prophet ﷺ, he is our Sayyid. He is our Sayyid. He is our Master, he is our leader. Not in the sense that Allah is the Sayyid. Obviously, there's a difference. But to say Sayyidina is, is no problem. Is no problem. But when we make the salah, it's better to leave it out. Why? It's not part of the sunnah. This is something specifically that's taught to us by the Prophet ﷺ. Don't add to it. This is the point. We don't want to change the dhikr. You understand? Some people think if they add Sayyidina, it's better. It's not better. The best way is the way of Rasulullah The way he taught it, that's the best way. To add additional descriptions and additional adjectives, it doesn't make it better. More is not always the, the best. Right? We want to do it with accuracy. The way the Prophet did it and taught it, that's how we want to do it. Because if you think about it, we can now add many other uh, uh, descriptions. You know, we can say, Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina wa Nabiyina wa Rasulina wa Habibina wa Qudwatina wa Uswatina wa Uswatina wa, 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 and we can add and add and add and add. Do you understand? Because we're making it better. By that logic, we are making it better and better and better. So Allah, please send your mercy upon our Sayyid, our Master, and our Prophet, and our Messenger, and our Beloved, and our, le- our role model, and our this, and our that, and our this. Does this make sense? So this argument we say, more is not the best. You might as well add all other descriptions of the Prophet and then say this is the best way to do the tahiyyat, throw the way of the Sunnah out. Because we find a better way. Hence we say, stick to what is narrated. What's narrated is the best, not to add on to it. Hence, to say Sayyidina, we don't say your salah is invalid necessarily, but we are saying you are not following the sunnah in this. And it's better for you to stick to the sunnah in this. So cut the Sayyidinas out and just say it the way it was narrated. This is the best way, without a doubt. Without a, a doubt. Um, the last benefit of this hadith is jawazu tawasul bi af'alillahi ta'ala. It's, it proves that it is permissible for us to do tawassul via the actions of Allah. Via the, the actions of Allah. What does this mean? Right? I, I mentioned the tawassul issue in, as, we, I was descri- as I was explaining the hadith. Where was the tawassul? Where we spoke about? Ibrahim. Right? So, that's the action of Allah. What did Allah do? Allah blessed Ibrahim and the family of Ibrahim. So we are saying, Oh Allah, bless Muhammad and the family of Muhammad just like you blessed who? Ibrahim and the family of Ibrahim. So this is a lesson for us now when we make dua. You can use the great actions of Allah as a tawassul. Meaning what? Ya Allah, just like you gave victory to the Muslims in Badr, give us victory. You see what I'm doing here? That's an action of Allah gave them victory. Just like you gave them victory, give us victory. Ya Allah, 
just like you saved Yunus and Dhun Nun, Yunus from the belly of the whale, save me from this difficulty, from this hardship. You see, it's a type of praise that you're lavishly praising Allah for the actions that Allah has done, that we know Allah has done. Ya Allah, just like you blessed Sulaiman with that kingdom, bless me with some sort of, you know, wealth or kingdom or something. You are now using that actions of Allah as a special praise upon Allah as a tawassul. As a tawassul. What do you say? What's tawassul? Tawassul means that you're seeking a shortcut, a means to having your dua being accepted. One of the ways to do this is that we praise Allah through His actions. We can do it by His names and attributes. We've mentioned this many times, how to do it through the names and attributes of Allah. Yeah, right? Allah, you are so-and-so, you are so-and-so, so give us. You are, or bless us, or protect us, or have mercy upon us, and so forth. His attributes, we mention, but also His actions. Also His, his actions. So here we are saying, like you blessed Ibrahim, like you sent your mercies upon Ibrahim, that special mercy, and that special mercy upon his family, send it upon Muhammad, and the family of Muhammad. So we can take any of those great actions of Allah, think of the actions, and it's endless. It's endless. You want shifa? Ya Allah, like you gave shifa to Ayyub, alayhi salam, who suffered. Give me shifa. Understand? Take any of the actions of Allah, the great actions of Allah, praise Him through that action, you show your acknowledgement for that great action, and ask Allah Azza wa Jal through that action, as it was through the actions of Allah. That's one of the ways of um, having your dua being accepted. Tayyip, are there any questions so far? طيب, the next hadith is narrated by Abu Hurairah radiallahu anhu. He said that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said إِذَا تَشَهَّدَ أَحَدُكُمْ فَلْيَسْتَعِذْ بِاللَّهِ مِنْ أَرْبَعٍ When one of you performs the tashahud, then he should seek refuge in Allah from four things. He should seek refuge in Allah from, from four things. So this hadith over here is going to explain to us the four things that we need to seek refuge or protection from after doing the tashahud. Now what's meant here is of course the final tashahud, of course, right? This is the last tashahud in the salah. As it's mentioned in another hadith in Muslim, إِذَا فَرَغَ أَحَدُكُمْ مِنَ التَّشَهُدِ الْأَخِيرِ When one of you comes to the end of the last tashahud, it's clearly mentioned, when you get to the end of the last tashahud, then you must seek refuge in Allah from four things. You must seek protection in Allah from from four things. So it's the second tashahud, not the first. We said the first one, you keep it short, simple, the tashahud and you go up. The second tashahud will be longer. With the salawat, with this dua, and maybe even other duas as well. Hence the second tashahud should be, should actually be lengthy. Should actually be lengthened somewhat by the imam or by the person that is praying. Okay? So, if one of you performs the tashahud, meaning if he completes the tashahud, as, is, as he has just completed the tashahud, he should then seek refuge in Allah from four things. This year, this word, فَلْيَسْتَعِذْ, seek refuge, is a command from Allah, from the Prophet. It's like a what? An amr, 
It's an instruction or a command. It's not a recommendation. It's an instruction or it's, an, it's a command. And this is why many ulama said to seek refuge in Allah from these four things, this dua is wajib to make. Many of the ulama said this dua is not just recommended, it's not mustahab. It's not mubah, permissible or mustahab. It's what? It is fard or wajib. Meaning you're not supposed to leave it out. You must say it. They have gone to that extent that they said you must say the salah because it's a command from the Prophet And if something, if something is a command, it implies what? Wujub. That this thing is compulsory. It means that this thing is compulsory. Okay? In most cases, if there's no other evidence that, that, that obviously changes the ruling. Um, so much so that some ulama said it's a rukan. Some ulama even went to, to the extent and said that what? It's a rukun. Tawus ibn Kaysan, rahimahullah, one of the tabi'in, Tawus, right? He, um, he found that his son made salah and did not do this refuge, seeking refuge in Allah from these four things. And he, is, he commanded his son to repeat the salah. Because he felt that this, this seeking refuge is not just recommended, it's, it's, it's like a rukun, hence he must go and repeat the salah. So, for these reasons, we say, this is something important to learn, to know, and to implement. Number one, because of the instruction of the Prophet It's a command. And secondly, because of the great protection that it gives, what it includes of protection against serious affairs, serious issues, right? Things that we are all in need of um, in terms of our protection. So the Prophet said, You must seek refuge in Allah from four things. Four things. It's clearly telling us it's not two or three, it's four. Sometimes maybe you forget, you know. Uh, did I say all? Oh, at least you know I must say four things. These, at least these four things must be mentioned. You understand? So he's, he's specifically given us the number so we can be clear. I must seek refuge in four things. is the hadith يقول, he says اللهم إني أعوذ بك من عذاب جهنم اللهم إني أعوذ بك من عذاب جهنم oh Allah I seek refuge or protection in you from the torment of جهنم from the punishments or the torment of جهنم this is the first thing that we're seeking refuge in Allah from in this hadith. Taib, Jahannam is named Jahannam because of its darkness. It's Min Adabi Jahannam, yes. Min. Not Minal, Min. Min Adabi Jahannam. Because of its darkness and its evil, right? There is no nur in it. And there's no khair in it, no goodness. Its pit, its depth is extremely deep that no eye can see. It's extremely, if you look down, you just see darkness. First, when you look into it, you just see darkness. And you, it's just known to be dark and basically extremely uh, evil or scary. 
Yes. In fact, the Prophet sallallahu was with the Sahaba one day, and he heard a sound of something like something falling, something that has fallen. And he said to them, "Atadruna ma hada? Do you know what that is? What the sound is?" And they said, "Allah, the Messenger knows best." And he said, "This is a stone or a rock that was thrown in the fire of Jahannam from seventy years ago. It was flying, and it has fallen now into the pit of Jahannam. So this rock was thrown seventy years ago." Prophet said, that sound you just heard, that sound that they heard, was that rock reaching the pit, reaching the, 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 the bottom of Jahannam. Right? And this is the, this hadith is in Sahih Muslim. So, the torment of Jahannam cannot be compared to any other type of torment, right? Any, any other type of, of Punishment. Um, such that the people in Jahannam, as Allah Azza wa Jalla says in the Quran, they will say to the gatekeepers of Jahannam, Udu Rabbakum Yukhafif Anna Yawman min al Adab. They will say to the gatekeepers, Udu Rabbakum, call on your Lord, supplicate to your Lord for us, such that He can maybe lighten for us. Yukhafif Anna. And here Ibn Uthaymi says, look what Allah says. They won't say, Yarfa'anna. They won't say, to remove the punishment from us. They are asking Allah, they are asking the gatekeepers to ask Allah to, to just lighten it for them. For one day, yawman min al-adhab. Just one day, just lighten the punishment for us. Right? And this is as if, you know, it's to show that these people are perpetually being punished. Consistently being punished. There's no stop to the punishment. It doesn't just go for an hour and there's a stop. It goes on and on and on continuously for years and years and years and years. And that's why they know it's not going to stop. So they don't say, ask Allah to stop it. Or to take it away. They say, ask Allah to lighten it for us for one day. Just one day. Just to lighten the punishment. To show that this is something that's ongoing. It's something. And, and these people have lost hope. They have lost all hope. Because they know. There's no way it's going to stop. So hence they do not stop, they do not ask for it to stop, not, for, not even for a moment. Just ask Allah just to lighten it for us for one day, just to lighten the punishment. Look at the words that the Qur'an uses. Um, and they also understand, they cannot ask Allah themselves at that moment. Hence they are asking these gatekeepers, you ask your Lord for us. You please ask your Lord, because they, they know they've lost hope, they know they are doomed, and so forth. Subhanallah. Um, <clears throat> these the people in Jahannam some of them will die from thirst they will die from thirst فَإِذَسْتَغَاثُ and when they seek relief from this thirst what does Allah say? يُغَاثُ بِمَاءٍ كَالْمُهْلِ they will be given relief of water that's like murky oil كَالْمُهْلِ that's like murky oil يَشْوِ الْوُجُوهُ which scales the faces. It burns the faces. Yashwil wuju, which means before it even comes to them, that water is so 
boilingly hot, scaldingly hot, before it even comes, that murky oil will, will, will diminish their face, will destroy their faces. And another ayah, Allah says, وَسُقُومَا أَنْ حَمِيمًا They will be given water that's scaldingly and boilingly hot, boiling hot water. جَمِيعًا فَقَطَّعَ أَمْعَاءَهُمْ That uh, severs the intestines. That they will drink and it will destroy everything in their, bod- in their bodies. All of the intestines, everything within their bodies will be destroyed because that, that water is so hot. That water is so hot. كَالْمُهْلِ يَغْلِي فِي الْبُطُونِ And another verse Allah says, like that murky oil, that will be boiling within themselves, within their bellies. يَغْلِي فِي الْبُطُونِ كَغَلِي الْحَمِيمِ Like boiling water inside of them. This, what does Allah say? يُغَاثُ بِهَذَا This is what they are given as a relief. So they are begging for some type of water, some type of relief, because they are dying from thirst. And remember when they die, what happens? They, they, they come back, not as a mercy. They don't come back as a mercy. They come back into the same punishment, to experience the same punishment once again. When it happens again, the process goes on and on. This is the torment of Jahannam. No torment like this can be compared. Even the greatest torture in this dunya, if a person eventually dies of the torture, it's over. They pass out, it's over. It comes to an end. The torment of Jahannam, the tortures in Jahannam, doesn't come to an end. خَالِدِينَ فِيهَا abada. Some of them will be in there forever and ever and ever. And of course, this is for the kuffar. Nasallahu salam wa al-afiyah. And not just that, the fire in there will be so hot, it's 70 times hotter than the hottest fire in this dunya. <laughs> we have fire here inside. How close can you go? Right? How close can you go? Can you put your hand inside? Can you touch the, the, the wood? Can you touch anything? That's not even a hot fire. That's not even a, a hot fire. A hot fire we will know. You have to sit a few meters away. The fire of Jahannam is at least 70 times hotter than the hottest fire. Meaning if you approached it, you would die. If you came near to it, you would melt away. Imagine those who are inside. Imagine those who are in the pits of Jahannam. Like the munafiqeen. Allah said, إِنَّ الْمُنَافِقِينَ فِي دَرْكِ الْأَسْفَلِ مِنَ النَّارِ What's the hottest part of the fire? Is it the top or the bottom? Is it the top of the flame or the bottom of the flames? The bottom is the hottest part. Allah says in the Quran, the munafiqeen will be in the lowest pits of the fire. The, the bottom of the fire. That's where the munafiqeen are placed. Because they, they get the, the worst of punishments. Musta'an. And Allah says, بَدَّلْنَهُمْ جُلُودًا غَيْرَهَا When that skin is burnt off, Allah says, we just replaced it with new skin. بَدَّلْنَهُمْ جُلُودًا غَيْرَهَا We'll give them a different new skin. So as the skin and everything's burnt away, it gets replaced with a new layer of skin. And as we said, this is not done as a, as a mercy. It's straight into the punishment. It doesn't feel good. Oh, alhamdulillah, my skin's back. You know, it's, it's healed. It's back. It looks good again. It comes and it goes and it will go again. You go straight. That, that fire doesn't stop. This is for those, of course, the kuffar will be in there forever. The, 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 the 
munafiqin who find their deen and so forth will be in there forever. The mushrikeen will be in there forever. But though the believers who enter the fire, because maybe they were major sinners, their sins outweighed their good, they will only spend a time in the fire before they are taken out. Right? So some of them will stay in the fire for a couple of hundred years maybe, and then they go into Jannah. Remember, the Akhirah is not like the dunya. The life of the Akhirah is much longer. It's not just one day, two days, three days. One day is equal to years. Right? So if you go into Jahannam for one year, dunya will be years. It could be how many years in the Akhirah? Right? So this is the seriousness of the matter of Allah Musta'an. And Allah says, لِيَذُوقُ الْعَذَابِ Why is their skin being replaced? So they can continuously taste the, the taste of the torment, taste the punishment, not as a mercy. Um, and there are many such ayat that we can speak about in the torments of the fire. This is sufficient, you know, to put fear into our hearts, to put the fear of Allah within us. That this is what we are seeking protection in Allah from. The first thing when we say Allah, inni a'udhu bika min jahannam. That, oh Allah, I seek refuge in you from the punishment, the torments of Jahannam. Because there's no torment worse than that. There's no punishment worse than that that's more severe, that's longer, that is more destructive than that. So we seek refuge in Allah from this. Now what is more important for us to do than seek refuge from the fire? Whoever is safe from the fire, he's a successful person. Whosoever doesn't enter the fire, فَمَنْ زُحْزِحَ عَنِ النَّارِ Whomsoever is saved from the fire, he is the successful one. He is the successful one. Even if he just entered Jannah, he just gets to Jannah, for example. If he made it, he's successful. But the one who goes, subhanallah. So that's the first dua. The second part of the dua is, وَمِنْ عَذَابِ الْقَبْرِ وَمِنْ عَذَابِ الْقَبْرِ And from the torment of the qabr. The torment of the, the qabr. وَمِنْ عَذَابِ الْقَبْرِ Yes, قَبْرِ ري أو قَبْر Same thing, right? وَمِنْ عَذَابِ الْقَبْرِ اللَّهُمَ إِنِّي أَعُوذُ بِكَ مِنْ عَذَابِ جَهَنَّمْ وَمِنْ عَذَابِ الْقَبْرِ So Allah seek refuge from the fire of Jahannam or the punishment of Jahannam and from the torment of the grave. The torment of the, of the grave. So firstly, the qabr, what we know what the qabr is. A qabr is a grave, right? A qabr is a, is a grave. When you bury someone, you bury him in his grave, that's his qabr. However, this, what's meant by qabr here is not necessarily the whole itself. It's not necessarily the, the whole itself. What's meant by qabr in this context is the barzakh. The barzakh. So when we dive in this dunya, when we leave this dunya, we go to a new place called the barzakh. We go to a new realm called the Barzakh. The Barzakh is the, the place between this dunya and the Akhirah. The Barzakh is the place between this world and the Akhirah. So the souls that leave this dunya, they go to the Barzakh. What's happening in the Barzakh? Where does the souls go? How do the souls look? Nobody knows this except Allah Azza wa Jal. And I spoke about this the other day. We cannot compare the life of the Barzakh to the life of the dunya. Right? We don't make any analogies. If the Prophet can hear all the salam, that means he's alive in the grave. And No, no, that, that's the, the way of the Sufis. Th- this is a false analogy. 
Because we cannot compare this life and the way things work in this life to any other life. Not in the Akhirah and not to the Barzakh. Understand? So what's meant by the Qabr here is not necessarily the hole that the person is buried into. What's meant by the Qabr here is the Barzakh that he goes to. That world that he goes to that we know nothing about really. That we know very little about. So, as Allah Azza wa says in the Quran, after them or from behind them is a, a barzakh until the day that they are resurrected until the day that they are resurrected so once they die they go to the barzakh until resurrection after resurrection comes either jannah or jahannam understand so what's meant by the qabr here is the the life in the barzakh not necessarily the what's happening in the hole Okay? And why do we say, what's one of the evidences for this? Some people are not buried when they die. Some people are not buried when they die. Like who? A Muslim who dies at sea. What happens to him? He gets deafened, they wrap him up, and he gets thrown in the water. So he's not in a grave. Does that mean he doesn't experience Adab al-Qabr? doesn't mean that. Because as we said, what's meant by the Qabr here is, that once he dies, his soul goes to the Barzakh. So he will still experience what happens. Either, you see in the Barzakh, there's either Naim or there's Adab. There's Naim or there's Adab. There's Naim, which means there's delight. There's pleasures. Or there is torment and punishment. Right? And the, the righteous person who dies, when he gets to the barzakh, the malaika, in his grave, the malaika come to him. And the, what does the hadith say? The hadith says, his family comes with him to the graveyard, his position comes with him, and, what hap- and his, his deeds comes with him. Right? His amal is with him. What happens? The two leave and the one stays behind. His family eventually leaves. The grave, and they leave him alone. His possessions are gone, they leave with his family, and he stays alone. Who's with him? His amal. His actions are with him. His deeds are with him. If he was a righteous person, the deeds will look like a beautiful person. It will be a companion for him, with nur on his face. It will give him calmness and ease. When the malaika come, that deeds will be there with him to compa- as a companion. As for the sinner or the disbeliever, his deeds is of filth. It's an evil-looking person. It's an evil-looking companion. And when the malaika come, this is already a sign of what's going to happen. What's the answer is going to be? Is he, is he going to be able to answer the questions of the grave and so forth? And in that hayah, in that life in the barzakh, they will experience na'im, delights and pleasures. That was better than the pleasure is in the dunya for the believer and the righteous person. And the opposite for the disbeliever or the sinner. He will experience torment and punishment that was worse than the suffering of the dunya. And what will they say? What will they say? The believer will say, Ya Rabbi aqimi sa'a, Ya Rabbi aqimi sa'a. He will say, Oh my Lord, bring the hour close. Bring Qiyamah, bring the hour forth. Why does he say this? 
Because he knows if this is the pleasures of the barzakh, imagine the pleasure of the akhirah. So he will beg Allah to bring Qiyamah close. So that they can get out to the barzakh, not because they're not enjoying themselves, but because they're longing for, for Jannah. Because they know if this is the pleasure of, of the barzakh, the pleasure of Jannah will be even greater. So they say, Ya Rabbi, aqimi sa'a, Ya Rabbi, aqimi sa'a. Oh my Lord, bring the hour close, bring the hour close. On the other hand, the disbeliever also knows what's, what's to come is worse. The punishment of Jahannam is worse than the punishment in the barzakh or of the grave. So he will say, Ya Allah, don't bring the hour close. Ya Allah, don't bring the hour close. Because he knows what's to come is worse than what he's experiencing in the grave. Allahu musta'an. And these ahadith are so beautiful. You know, if we read it, it's scary on the one hand, and it's beautiful on the other hand. Of how the, the ruh is taken. The ruh of the believer is taken softly and smoothly. Right? Whereas the ruh of the, the kafir or the disbeliever or the major sinner is ripped out. And he experiences severe, you know, pain. And the torment starts then. The torment starts then. And the malaika, they travel up with the ruh. They travel up with the ruh. And if it was a righteous person, the, the ruh has a beautiful smell. And the malaika in the heavens, they will ask, who is, is, who is this? Who is this, this ruh with this beautiful smell? And they will pray for him. And he will go up thinking he's going to Jannah and then he has to go back to the, the barzakh. But he will be longing for the, for the barzakh. And the opposite holds true for the, for the disbeliever. Wallahu al-musta'an. So the adab of the qabr will happen. Whether you bury it in the, in, the, in the ground, whether you bury it in the ocean, whether you are burned to death, there is going to be reckoning that happens in the barzakh. Because when your soul leaves, it goes to the barzakh, as we said. Tayyib. Um, and the belief of this, adab al-qabr, is the belief of Ahl sunnah al-jama'ah. And there's agreement on this from amongst the scholars of Ahl sunnah al-jama'ah. Only the innovated sects, or some of those from the innovated sects, disbelieve in the qabr, the life in the qabr. Like the Mu'tazila, the, the rationalists, they say there's no such thing as life in the qabr. They did not accept this. They, to them, it didn't make sense. To them, it didn't make sense. So they would say, for example, how can Allah punish you in a hole? How can you know all that things happen inside of that small hole? Didn't make sense to them. They would say, for example, why must Allah punish you twice? Why must you, you know, you can appear in, in Jahannam, why in the Qabr as well? This is the type of logic they try to use. To them, they thought they're smart, right? Not knowing Allah is ala kulli shayin qadir. He is al-qadir, al-muqtadir, al-qadir. The most able, the all-able. Is there anything he cannot do? Why can't he punish you in the ground? Is, he, is Allah unable to do that? These people don't know Allah Azza wa Jal. So they thought they were clever. In reality, they are only stupid. They are only backwards in their thinking. Thinking that their aql is better than the text of the sharia. And this is a sign of an innovator, of a misguided person. When he thinks he knows better than the texts. What the Quran and Sunnah says. So we all believe in the adab al-qabr. It's mentioned in this hadith and in many, many, many other hadith. Also it is mentioned in the Quran. For those who understand the ayat. One example out of many examples 
Allah Azza wa Jal says, "An-nar yu'raduna 'alayha ghudwa wa 'ashiyah." That they will be exposed to the fire morning and evening. Ghudwan wa 'ashiyah. Wa yawma taqumu as-sa'ah. And then on the day when the hour is established, adkhilu ala Fir'aun ashadd al-'adhab. The family of Fir'aun will enter into the worst of punishment, the most severe of punishment. The ulama say, Allah says, they will be exposed to the fire, to, to a punishment, a type of torment, morning and evening. And then when the hour is established, what does this tell you? That that punishment that Allah is talking about initially happens before Qiyamah. When does this happen? In the Barzakh or in the, what we know as the Qabr, Adab al-Qabr. This is in Surah Ghafir verse 46. Surah Ghafir, verse 46. So Allah says, when the hour is established, which means this comes later on. But before that, this family of Fir'aun is already experiencing punishment. Uh, and this obviously refers to the punishment of the grave. Um, and there are other ayat that the ulama also use, but this is sufficient for us, alhamdulillah. And there are many hadith, as we said. Um, one example, the Prophet sallallahu is walking with the sahaba, past some graves. And he said, these two people here in these two graves, they are being punished. They are being punished. And they are being punished for something that, that's not kabir. Not something big or great. What did he mean by this? It's something that's deemed to be something minor. Deemed to be something minor. But in reality, it's something serious. What was the first one, Sven? He did not take care when he used to. When he urinated. Meaning he didn't do istinja properly. He may have spilt on himself and he wasn't, he was reckless, he was careless. So often, you know, he was in a state where he could not make salah. Or he made salah in that state. Because of this, he was being punished in the, in the qabr. The second person, what was his sin? He used to walk around with namima. What's namima? You get ghibah. And you get namima. Ghiba is backbiting. Namima is? Nope. Namima is to spread tales about people. You spread stories about others. So I come to you and I say, hey, you know what that guy said? So and so. You know what that guy did? So and so. And I go to him and I say it about you. And I go to this one and I say about him. And I go to this one. And I carry tales between people creating fitna. I carry tales whether it's true or not. Sometimes it's untrue also. But I'm creating... Fitna, I'm creating discord, I'm creating hatred amongst people. This is a namam. The Prophet ﷺ in another hadith, he said, لا يدخل الجنة نمام. The namam won't enter Jannah. Who's a namam? The one of namima. He goes around and he spreads stories about people. And he, to create fitna. You know, you get people like that. Come to you, hey, do you know what this one said? You know what he's, what he's gonna, what he, what he did? What he said about you? And perhaps it's lying. Even if it's true, what's the intention? Fitna. To create the school. And there are people like this, Wallahu Musta'an. So, this was the second person and that was being punished in the, in the grave. Ibn Uthaymin, rahimahullah, goes on and he speaks about the importance of salah. And he says, if the person who did not take care in, the, in washing himself was being punished in the grave, because that is a condition for salah. 
Imagine the one who doesn't make salah at all. This is a condition of the salah, which he did not fulfill properly, to be, keep himself clean in his body, clean in his clothing, clean. He did not fulfill this, and therefore he was being punished in the grave. Imagine the one who doesn't pray at all. Can you imagine? He must be ten times, hundred times worse. This person didn't look after one condition of the salah. The tahara aspect. Because to be clean, as we know, is a shart, condition. Imagine the one who doesn't pray at all. What's his condition going to be like? What's his affair in the akhirah or in the barzakh going to be like? Understand? Wallahu musta'an. And this is why Ibn Uthaymin says, there is no doubt, he says, he has no doubt, he says, he says, I have no doubt. No doubt that the one who doesn't pray at all is a kafir and is out of all of Islam. And the Sahaba had ijma' on this. The Sahaba agreed on this. Whoever doesn't make salah, when we say doesn't make salah, we mean he doesn't pray at all. No maghrib, no isha, no fajr, no, no asr, no jumu'ah. He doesn't pray at all. He's out the fold of Islam. Not a Muslim. Even if he was born Muslim, even if he fasts Ramadan, even if he gives zakah and charities and he goes for hajj even, whatever the case may be, if he doesn't make salah at all, Laysa bi mu'min. Wa laysa bi muslim. He is not a Muslim or a mu'min. He is out the fold of Islam. Right? And this is the view of the Sahaba, all of the Sahaba, and many of the other ulama as well. And he hops on this issue for by, in some detail. In fact, he says this is a kafir. He's a bigger kafir than the Yahud and the Nasara. He's a bigger kafir than the Yahud and the Nasara because he's a murtad. He's a murtad. And a murtad, the rulings of the murtad is different to a ju- uh, Ahl al-Kitab. You see, they are Ahl al-Kitab. So the sacrifices you can eat, right? And the woman you can marry. But the murtad, you cannot marry them. You cannot eat their meat. And so forth. You, and the, there are many other things you meet. You can't deal ghusl of them. You can't give them a Muslim burial. You can't inherit from them. If you tell them to make tawbah, they must be given three days to make tawbah. If they don't make tawbah within the three days, they are supposed to be killed. The hadith says, Man Whosoever leaves his religion, kill him. Hadith. And he's not killed like a, a zani, like we spoke about yesterday, where he gets the punishment in the dunya and in the akhirah he's saved. Right? This is not the, he gets killed and in the akhirah he gets the worst of the worst. It's not the same thing. He gets killed because of his sin, because of his disbelief, not because of a, it's not a had, it's not an Islamic punishment. He, he just gets killed and that's it. And he doesn't get buried with the Muslims, nothing. No janazah salah for him, no dua for him, nothing. Absolutely nothing. Literally no respect to, is given to him. For a kafir, for a murtad especially. And you know what, there are so many murtad deen around today. People who actually boast about the, the riddah. You can find him on YouTube. They, there's a guy who calls himself apostate so-and-so. Apostate so-and-so, that's his name, whatever his name is. And nowadays, some brothers are you know, debating with him and showing their ignorance. And, because they think that Islam is you know, barbaric and backwards and the way the West is the way forward. And uh, uh, the instant left the deen of Islam and they are now promoting you know, Western values. And trying to prove the Quran is a lie and this is that is 
Alhamdulillah, like I said, many brothers are engaging them and refuting them openly, publicly exposing their ignorance and so forth. The point is they are proud of the, the riddah, of the, the, many people are murtad today, Wallah musta'an. We move on. Adab al-Qabr, we spoke about. وَمِنْ فِتْنَةِ الْمَحْيَا وَالْمَمَاتِ The third dua is, we are seeking refuge in Allah from the fitna, which is the tests or the trials of life and death. Of life and death. So firstly, what is the fitna of life? The fitna of life. Meaning, the fitna that you experience in your life. That's what it means. The fitna that you experience that a person could experience whilst he's alive. Whilst he is alive. And this is either of two, two things. It's either a shubha or a shahwa. It's either a shubha, which means a doubt or a confusion. Or it's a shahwa, it's a desire. In terms of the doubt, this person, for example, he, he fails to understand things. He fails to understand things correctly, like the deen, like the Quran, or aqidah, or tawheed. It's a shubha, it's a fitna for him. Because he can't grasp the concept. He can't genuinely understand. You know, it's not making sense to him. There's something blocking his understanding. It could be sins. It could be arrogance. It could be many things. Right? But there's a shubha. He can't seem to understand the right thing. The hadith or aqidah or so forth. So he's got a major shubha in front of him. Or it could be the test of shahwa. Shahwa means your desire. Your wants, what you want, what you are seeking. And that can also prevent a person or be a major obstacle for a person. It could be the shahwa of lust. It can also be a shahwa of dunyawi desires. So a person cannot accept the truth, for example, because his shahwa prevents him. He's got some other wants and desires that he's after. Some fame that he's seeking, some wealth that he's seeking, whatever it could be. But there's something blocking the way, it's a fitna for him. It's a test and a trial for him. Could be his wife, could be his spouse, could be his parents, could be anybody. That's a, it's an obstacle for them, it's a fitna for them. You understand? Um, and it could be many things. Whatever you could be tested with in this life, whether it's a shubha or a shahwa, whether it's doubts or confusions, or whether it's something that you desire or after or seeking, it can be a major obstacle for you. Right? Um, some people can see the truth. They know what's the haq. They know what's right and wrong. But they can't follow the haq. They're not brave enough to follow the haq. They're not strong enough to stand by themselves and follow the haq. Many things are obstacles for people. This is what we are seeking refuge in Allah from. That Allah doesn't make the test. We all have tests. That he doesn't make the test too, too overbearing for us. That He makes us overcome the test. So He protects us from these tests. Whatever it may be. Of life, whatever we experience in, in life. Understand? Walmamat um, <clears throat> and the fitna of death. Fitna til mahya walmamat, life and death. What's the fitna of death? It could be at the moment of death, the way you die. We want a good death. Right? We want a good death. Secondly, we want to die with la ilaha illallah on our tongues. The law, whoever has la ilaha as his final words, dakhla al jannah. He will enter jannah. Also, Death, we want a death whereby the, what refers to after death maybe. So it could be either what's before death, just before death, right? A good death, death with the kalima and so forth. Death was, you know, in a good place, in a good environment, in, a, in an honorable way, for example. Or after death, 
What's going to happen to the malaika? That's a fitna. It's a test. It's a trial. The answering of the malaika. Man rabbuk. Wa man nabibuk. Wa man dinuk. Wa man dinuk. And so forth. All those things. We want to answer correctly. This is a, you are asking Allah to protect you from all these things surrounding death. Before and after death. The fitna that happens there. You want to be protected from those things. You understand? So that's number three. What's number four? Wa min fitnatil masihid dajjal. Wa min fitnatil masihid dajjal. From the fitna of al-masihid dajjal. The antichrist the dajjal. Tayyib. And this will be one of the biggest fitnas it will, it will, that, that mankind will experience. The fitna of the dajjal. The dajjal we know is someone who is a'war. Which means he's blind in one eye. He only sees through one eye. What does this mean? This doesn't mean that he has one eye. Right? It doesn't mean that he has one eye in the middle of his head. It's not what's meant. He has two eyes, but the one eye is closed up. And the other eye is open. He only sees through one eye. Understand? That's what's, that's what the, 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 this is how he looks basically. Um, and he will be the, the, the one who deceives people. He's deceptive. A Dajjal is someone who's deceptive. Someone who deceives you. Okay? Um, and this will be his aim. It's just to deceive people. He's got tricks up his sleeves. He, it's all about deception. It's all about deception. So he will promote certain things as something, but it's not, it's not the way it is. Right? And he will bring miracles to, again, to deceive people. He will come to a place where there's no rain, no crops, no nothing. They will say to him, you know, we need rain. And he will cause it to rain. He will cause it to rain. Obviously, Allah allows it to rain, but as a test to the people. And he is there as a test for the people. For them, this will be a great test. Because now they think that he is, you know, some may think he's God. You never know people think extreme things. Some may think he's a prophet. Some may think he's some righteous person. And they will follow him. But these are the tests that he will come with. These are the, the tests that he will come with, for example, and many other things. It's deception, it's trickery. This is what the Dajjal does. And this is why the Prophet said, Ma min illa wa There's no Prophet except that he warned his people from the Dajjal. Every single Nabi came and he warned his people about the Dajjal. Because it will be one of the most severe tests that will, that will befall mankind. Because he will be so convincing in so many ways. But the true believers will see through him. The true believers will not fall for the tricks. Those who believe in Allah, the Tawheed of Allah, they understand, you know, what the Sharia says and so forth, what's the Quran and the Sunnah, they offer clarity. They will not fall for the Dajjal. They will see through the tricks of the Dajjal. It's people who are after the dunya, who are after certain things, who don't understand the basics of the deen, they will fall for this. That's why knowledge is so important as well. Um, so yes, this is the fourth thing. Because it's a serious fitna in this dunya. And this is actually part of the fitna of life, right? But it's mentioned specifically on its own because it's, it's a bigger test than the normal fitna that you're going to experience in life. Your wealth is a fitna. Your children is a fitna. Your wife is a fitna. Your husband is a fitna. Everything is actually a fitna. But not like the fitna of the Dajjal. So when we say fitna til mahya wal mamat, we are seeking refuge in all those fitnas of life. All those tests that we come across and in death, surrounding death, and more specifically the fitna of the, the Dajjal. Because he is, the fitna of, he, of the Dajjal is much worse than the fitna of 
um, <clears throat> anything else that we will experience in life, and we ask Allah Azza wa Jal to protect us from all four things. Amin, Rabbil Alameen. The most important thing here is understand the dua and make sure you recite the dua in every salah. So you know what you are seeking refuge in Allah from. The four most important things. If a person is saved from these four things, he will be happy in this dunya and the akhirah. He will achieve success and happiness in the dunya and in the akhirah without a doubt. Wa sallallahu ala nabina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik. Shalala ilaha 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 il